share some common um, dynamics of this dominant-subordinate relationship and uh, have us explore or um, maybe hear how relative suffering um, can happen both in our sanghas and in our worlds based on this dynamic of dominance and subordination of these identity groups. In the Satipatthana Sutta, there's the teaching on, in the reframe, on internal versus external. And one way to look at these dynamics is to notice uh, that we have an experience with what's being heard uh, and what we know to be true in our relative walks in the world, in our relatedness. And then there's the uh, external, which is often the projections that are placed on the group identity that need to be managed or that we're also in relationship with. You know, so for example, my internal experience is uh, often, you know, as, a, as an African-American woman, you know, I have um, um, my personal stories of growing up in South Central Los Angeles in the middle of the civil rights movement and all of that. And I have the story of the courage and bravery of African-American people and um, the struggles and, and, and yet the, the coming together of that, that. You know, that's a story I have as an individual. I can sit and touch into the dignity of being able to stand and all of that. We all have these stories. Externally, I have to manage the projection that the dominant culture uh, has on African-American people. That's a, that's a level of management or something I need to attend to and learn how to navigate in my life, in our sanghas, in my relationships in the world. So it's this individual experience that I have, and there's also the projections that is a part of our relational field that needs to be attended to. So these dynamics are, are looking at both that internal and external um, kind of field of, of in the relative realm. So there's five things I want to point out. One is just the general group dynamic, uh, what, what happens when dominant and subordinated group identities meet. <laughs> and one is that in our conversations, dominant group members... Dominant individuals, part of dominant groups, tend to function at the individual level, not the group level. And subordinated group members tend to function at the group level. So again, in that example of the stars and the constellation, with the conversation with, in our small group with, with, with the white male, how, how we view the situation. He was viewing the situation from the lens of an individual, not from the lens of a collective. I'm viewing the situation from the lens of the collective. 
So we miss each other. We miss intimacy in that exchange. It's not a lack of heart. It's a lack of connection because we don't understand um, this, this dynamic of dominant-subordinate. So that's a common pattern, that dynamic that we see. The dominant group tends to engage from a place of the individual and subordinated group members engage from a sense of collective identity. A second dynamic has to do with, Andrea mentioned it earlier, it has to do with the difference between intention and impact. Dominant group members tend to engage from a place of good intention. Subordinated group members tend to be affected by the impact of that intention. So, um, the uh, one one way that this look looks is um, I have uh, I use a lot of race examples because welcome to my world anyway <laughs> because it's kind of the, the the work I do and the um, deep experience that I live day to day but again these collective I, these group identities um, could be any group identity so um, so I have a a dear white friend that I've uh, known for years, and she, she'll say, she, she's a white woman, she'll say, oh, Ruth, you're so sensitive on all this race. I have to be so careful around you. Jeez, you're just making my life so hard, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, so my response to her is, you know, I don't want you to be cautious. I want you to be conscious, and I want you to, to recognize your impact, that when, you, when, when, you're, when, when you're saying, oh, I won't make that remark again, and I'll get it right next time, it's like, I want you to get it right now. <laughs> you know, it, the impact is something that uh, uh, makes, makes things a little uh, difficult. Good intention without impact. There's, there's a, another situation of um, a group of uh, white sangha members wanting to um, come together and write a letter around social justice, uh, you know, this around the killings of um, so many black males. And the energy around it was um, being allies to black people. And I said, why don't you have the energy be around just the justice, the injustice of the act? It's a, it, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it was a different kind of form of why you're doing it. Oh, we're going to help black people. But there's the whole thing around, it's, it's just wrong. Stand for that. It's not about helping me. So that, that's, a, that's another way that intention and impact kind of can dance together. I had a woman uh, at a retreat. The teacher said something really outrageously uh, uh, racist, and uh, you know, it wasn't that blatant. I'm, I'm being a bit dramatic, but it had a big ouch to it. And so my a friend of mine wrote me this note. We're supposed to be in silence. She wrote me this yogi note. Oh, that's horrible, and I'm writing a letter, and I want you to know I'm there for you. And, and what was interesting about that is what I wanted to know was how she was impacted. So the emphasis was on wow, let me take care of Ruth. 
but she was impacted. I actually didn't have as much sting about it as she did. But it was her pain that she wasn't aware of because she was looking more at the individual, her intention of wanting to be an ally. But she missed that there was something collective about the comment that she was also identified with that she wasn't in touch with because the dominant group members have not examined their um, relatedness, their groupness. So, so that's a missed opportunity and represents a, a big dynamic around intention and impact. And it puts me in the position of educating her, which uh, makes the interaction imbalanced from the third point I want to talk about, which is a cumulative impact. There's an accumulative impact that's at play in the dominated subordinated group. It's like my sister here talking about the wobbliness that's involved in standing in a dominant culture and voicing and being visible. There's an accumulative impact, a risk factor that's at play when I sit here and speak to you. It's no small thing, you know, to, to do that, to come out again and again. The accumulative impact is also something you'll see uh, when, 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 you know, after a while the subordinated groups get pecked, 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 pecked. There's a carrying of the weight of subordination and the innocence of the dominant groups, you know, not feeling the weight of that accumulation. Entering into a conversation where the energy or the heat is very different. Oh my gosh, you know, you get the sense that the interaction had more of an explosion than just the conversation you're having. That's because it has roots. That some of the conversations we have in this dynamic have roots so you get a new tree this planet is trying to talk to an old tree that has all these roots of accumulative impact and we miss each other. I have a dear friend in DC who's trans and um, insist on me using the pronoun they, we, and I get it wrong all the time. Dominant culture, my, my gender identity. Cumulative impact is how often she has to point that out. A cumulative impact. So sometimes we separate because we get tired of that. And sometimes that's appropriate, just for the relief of it. But that's how a cumulative impact plays. And there's also a timing dynamic in the subordinated, dominated. Um, there's timing around, you know, like this letter that was being prepared for advocacy. You know, they must have went through 20 or 30 drafts. In the meanwhile, in the meantime, I, don't, I can't count how many people it still 
been getting shot, killed. For me, there's an urgency. For a lot of people in the subordinated group, there's urgency for dominant group members to get it at the collective level. Urgency. So in the good heart of trying to get the letter right, trying to make sure the right people are brought in and all of that, it's all goodwill and intention. But then there's this urgency. So those are some some ways that we miss each other. Frustration builds. Severing happens. And then the last dynamic I want to talk about is the dynamic of collusion. There's the dynamic of collusion, regardless of our identities. There's this collusion, knowingly or unknowingly, that happens in dominant subordinate dynamics. And there's five ways that I've noticed collusion at play. One is in blindness. We just don't see the constellation. We don't see the constellations that's there. The elephant goes to the therapist and complains. Sometimes even when I stand in the middle of the room, no one acknowledges me. (laughs) So that's the experience often of the uh, subordinated groups in a sea of, of dominant culture. There's an invisibility, there's an assumption, and there's not a scene that that's even happening. Pascal's comment, we don't see the who has air, who doesn't. Which it's just it's just part of the culture. It's something we have to wake up. We have to see the Big Dipper of it. Nobody's wrong. It's about awareness. And another dynamic of collusion is silence. We don't speak the truth. It's a it's a pyramids. We don't take the risk. A lot of times, dominant group members will stay silent because it creates a certain privilege or membership in whatever that group is. You're not breaking the code. Subordinated group members sometimes will be silent because they're just tired of raising the issue. But there's an amazing thing that can happen when silence is broken. And you have Ajahn Brahm, who's a Theravada Buddhist monk, wrote an article in Tricycle magazine not too long ago about putting an end to Buddhist patriarchy. And he caught hell for that. <laughs> you know? So when you stand and um, kind of break silence... You're risking your membership, but you're also gaining more heart. Another form of collusion is sameness, where we stay with our own kind. Sometimes we don't know we're doing that. It's just the norm. Dominant culture would have that be the norm. We you know, don't even notice that. You know, who's here, who's not, why, and wouldn't even question it. Um, staying with your own kind can not be a horrible thing. 
Zenju Earthland Manual, a Zen priest, just wrote a book about the way of tenderness, and she talks about cultural sanctuaries. It's a, she's talking about them more for, um, well, she's speaking to special interest groups. And the need for us to get with our own people, people like us, and examine in a place of safety and inquiry and use our practice to really deepen our understanding of what it means to be a collective and our impact on the world. And what stories are we carrying that we might need to let go of. So affinity groups or cultural sanctuaries is not a bad thing if the intention is to deepen in an atmosphere of safety, but to deepen around some of these ways that we're divided. Another dynamic that separates us and is a form of collusion is arrogance. Arrogance in the sense that we we think we know already. We, we think we know what the issues are, or we can afford not to know. And this sense of kind of um, deciding uh, that we don't need to go there because we've been there already, we've been burned, we've heard it a million times, kind of fragments our literacy around our collective relative kinship. And then the fifth area of collusion is around our habituation or our reactivity. Sometimes we can get really hot and angry and we cut off. Or we can be cold and feel guilty or ashamed. It's another form of cut off. Or we can be kind of lukewarm in this place of indifference. But they're all forms of severing and forms of turning away. And the collusion factor is that uh, we don't get to deepen and add the spice to the soup of our, of our collective. An example of these is, is uh, I read on Blue Action Review on Facebook. And I thought this was a good one. It was headed, Incoming Congress, 80% white male, 92% Christian, 100% unaware that this is a problem. That's <laughs> <laughs> so kind of how, you know. Okay. So these are constellations, these are formations, these are... Um, sankaras at the collective level, patterns that have become normative um, that has impact. It has impact on the nature of who we are and it actually has impact on nature itself. We can see what's happening to the planet from exploitation. You know, I mean, 
planets trying to balance itself somehow, just like we are. It's an invisible uh, suffering from our greed, hatred, aversion, delusion. And that's not a punishment. It's, it's that awakening is so needed for, for our collective right now. It's so important that we see the gestalt of how we've been conditioned and the harm and the ripple effects that it has. And that we come to spiritual community to really try to... Um, we're actually looking for a sense of belonging and love that radiates the heart enough to, to have us walk in this practice with a sense of, of dignity and unharming. So, what I'd like for you to do now is uh, an exercise... Uh, but before I do that, I just want to say one thing about the, the institutional level, and I'll be brief here. So at the individual level, we can have biases. At the group level, we have prejudices, and there can be discriminations there. At the institutional level is where the isms live. The institutional level is where things become entrenched as... Uh, in the dominant culture as a, as a norm for the collective. So what happens at the institutional level is almost whatever's unfinished at the group level gets elevated and carried to the institutional level. So what's the profile again? We talked about it earlier. So if that leadership whatever it is. Most dominant cultures do not have the propensity towards examining their collectiveness. When group identity is not examined and we don't have a sense of collectiveness, we can't see how it lives and is carried into the institutional level. So we see the same dynamics just played out on a bigger field affecting more lives. And that's one of the dangers that, um, that we have at the institutional level. What's missing is a sense of understanding its collective identity and its impact on the world. So these are some of the, you know, Joanna Macy talks about a shift from dominance to synergy. And I'm intrigued with what that might look like. And it's all for us to kind of um, be curious about. What would the world be like if it wasn't about dominance? If it wasn't about exploiting the planet? If it wasn't about people being invisible? If all these group identities didn't have, you know, a certain weight to them of importance or unimportance? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.